Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hello and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patagna alongside, wait, that is not Andrew Ivins. He is in Germany on a plane to Frankfurt right now. That is Bud Elliott, the co-host of the Cover 3 Podcast, the very popular podcast. But I believe we are having a career year for Cover 3 Fanatics. Is that right? We, we are, man. We appreciate everybody hitting us up on, on the Cover 3 YouTube as well. Like we. The audio audience is really big. I'm just I'm happy that people are slowly getting over to the YouTube to see you know, Danny Cannell throw on the day trading outfit and me me bust out the burner phone as a prop. You know, it's it's been a lot of fun. Well, the boys have been on there as well. Me, Drew, you're starting to get into recruiting season a little bit, trying to get your crowd, uh, I guess, uh, more familiar, right, with what happens over the next couple yep. months until early signing day on December 20th. And this is a great opportunity for us to have you on this show. And with Andrew out, really kind of take a step back and get more uh, of a purview from 30,000 feet, big picture standpoint as well. And uh, But with that, no softballs out of the gate. We are going to talk about Clemson and the future of Dabo Swinney assessing that program. But I kind of see this as like fork in the road, whatever you want to call it, adapt or die. And for Clemson, this is one of those teams right now that I think they're, they're kind of getting to that point, right? Which way are they going to go? And for more context on this, we're going to bring in the 24-7 Sports Director of Research straight out of Palo Alto and out of, out of the, uh, uh, the background yesterday, Ryan McGrady. I see that you are back to a normal circumstance. Good to see that you are safe. A lot of the viewers were worried about you. So, uh, McGrady, what do, we, what do we have on Clemson? We got a lot on Clemson. I think uh, Dabo needs his own researcher to go on his radio show with him so that when Tyler from Spartanburg calls in, <laughs> he can have somebody just rattle off his own stats for him so he doesn't have to sound like he's uh, bigging himself up too much. But Dabo, since t- 2009, when he became the full-time head coach, he's been at Clemson 15 seasons, has 10-plus wins in 12 consecutive seasons, 161 wins over that span, the third most in FBS, third-highest winning percentage, eight c- ACC titles, Six CFP appearances, second behind Alabama, two national titles, tied for second behind Alabama with Georgia, 74 NFL draft picks, seventh most in that span. So um, if you'd offer that to pretty much anybody, maybe not Tyler from Spartanburg would take it, but I think pretty much every other fan would, would take that record. 
how about Tyler from Spartanburg? Big day for him uh, over this week, getting into it with Dabo Sweeney. Bud, I, I want to start with you here. The stat that we talked about this morning that you brought up to me, that's very important. Since 2009, we all know that college football is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of business. How do you see the future of the Clemson program under Dabo Sweeney? So I, I still have a lot of confidence that, that Dabo's going to get this right at Clemson, in large part because they are having the year that they're having. I think this gives some of the power players at Clemson, whether it's the AD or like the big-time boosters, the ability and the leverage to lean on Dabo a little bit and say, hey, man, your record you amassed is awesome, and we are forever grateful for it. But the sport has changed with NIL and with the transfer portal. And this is like a coach who was really good in basketball before they had the two-point shot, not adapting to when the sport of basketball added in the three-point shot, right? Clemson's refusal to use the transfer portal, they're essentially kneecapping themselves willingly. There's no real reason. They do, they do a great job in high school recruiting. Watch Clemson games this year. Some of their best players are freshmen. Like, their talent ID is still awesome. Their player dev is still good. But Dabo made a lot of, like, crony-type hires on this offensive staff, right? Dudes who had little to no Power 5 experience but had played at Clemson, trying to keep it in the family. And they don't use the portal to fix their mistakes. Everybody else is out there identifying. But I think now, like, the AD and the boosters are going to be able to say, hey, Dabo, look, man, we still believe you. We still love you. We're always appreciative. But you do have to start adapting to how the sport's been going the last three years. Because the last three years, your record ain't what it was from 2000, 2009 you know, to basically the COVID year. So that's my next question. Do you think they, they have a young AD over there at Clemson, and you talked about the boosters as well. Do you think that there is somebody within the Clemson administration, or at least among the power players, that is capable of getting Dabo's ear in this type of situation and say, look, from 30,000 feet, this is kind of what it looks like. And right now, our ship is kind of taking on water a little bit. Now, we still believe in you, like, like you said, bud, and we have a lot of confidence in you going forward. But we need to see some changes. One, who's having that conversation with Dabo Sweeney? And two, is he going to hear it? I, I think that if they had won 10 games again, probably not, right? But the fact that we are past Halloween now and we're still talking about will Clemson make a bowl? And look, they're incredibly unlucky this year. If you look at where their success rate is versus their red zone success rate, you know, factors that we know tend to regress toward each other. You're not going to have like a 90 spot gap in those. Clemson has been one of the most unlucky teams in the country. But people aren't trying to hear that, right? They, they're trying to hear, hey, what, what, what's your win-loss record? I do think that the AD and some of your bigger boosters at Clemson are going to be able to tell Dabo, hey, man, you can't hire a staff just of former Clemson players and guys who don't have really any Power 5 experience. And you can't just refuse to use the transfer portal just because you like to instill your culture here, right? There are good players in the transfer portal. It's not six, seven years ago when, for the most part, when guys transferred, it was because they had had problems at their prior school. If Dab like Dabo built this thing on culture and talent acquisition. He just needs to expand the pool from which he's acquiring that talent. What's fascinating about the transfer portal is I actually think it's Clemson's ace in the hole. That's the irony about this whole thing, right? Dabo is so hell-bent on protecting such a unique culture that he has built, and I understand that to a degree, but at the same time, there are a lot of players out there that would fit the Clemson culture, that would love to be part of that locker room, that player development program. We talked about it. Ryan McGrady just came on here and gave the stats in terms of the success, not only on the field, but in terms of player development as well, one of the best programs in the country. Here's my thing, bud. 
they haven't had a top five class over the last three years, right? You got to go all the way back to 2021. Right now, they're sitting at 16. They were 15 uh, in 2023, 14 in 2022, right? So two to three years later, that's where you're going to see all those classes materialize. And if you're just banking on your player development program, I think that's where you got an issue. The other thing is they're not as talented on the perimeter. They're not as talented up front. And as much as I like Cade Klubnick, he is not Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence. He's not a generational type of talent, right? So that's where Clemson, I think they got to get back to the basics there. They were one of the best teams in the country when it came to recruiting receiver talent. I think they're right there with Ohio State. Brian Hartline comes to Columbus. They're not even in the conversation anymore. So I think there are a lot of things that they got to get back to, but there's also a new flavor as well. I think defensively, bud, they're not that far away, right? I mean, they're they're a top 10 unit in the country. Wes Goodwin, who we talked about, was a guy that a lot of people didn't know a lot about, right? He has done a good job. I think you got to give him some credit. They've recruited well. I think you give them the benefit of the doubt defensively, and I think they got the right guy in terms of the coordinator and young Riley. But at the same time, I think it's more, hey, you got to get the pieces back. And the problem is, and I've seen this with a couple teams, and I think Dabo is a great example of this, the moment you start to believe that your secret sauce is your process and your coaching and your development, you're done. It was never about you. Sure, those are supplementary factors that come into play. It's about the Jimmys and Joes, right? You got to have the guys, and nobody understands that better than guys like Kirby Smart and Nick Saban, which is why they're able to stay atop of the mountaintop. I think Dabo and Clemson have taken on water because we've seen some complacency in the talent acquisition side over the last three to four years. Totally agree. I I will push back a little bit. I think that that statement, like it, it's it's about the Jimmy and Joes and not your process. It really applies if you are at a program where the goal and the expectation is national title contention. I think once you get past those like top 18 programs, I really do think like fit, culture, player dev, that matters a whole lot more. But my research with all the blue chip ratio stuff, the teams that consistently compete for national titles are the teams that have the most dudes that cause the other staff to go, Oh, damn, we don't have a guy that looks like that, right? But look at Ernest Green for Georgia this week, just destroying that, that, that Florida player. You know, you got young kid for UGA coming in, looking special immediately. I, I agree with you. I, I think you nailed it. And Clemson is a program. They spend like it. They have expectations of it. I mean, Dabo's making $11.5 million, as, as Tyler from Spartanburg uh, pointed out. The expectation is to compete for national titles. Also, like, I thought Dabo, like Dabo kind of handled that okay, and it made me wonder – like, was that call a plant? Because how in the heck do you get that call two minutes and 15 <laughs> seconds past a call screener? Like, the, the producer of that show has got to be sort of in on, in on the bit here. So I wonder if it wasn't a setup, but that's just me. I don't mind. I have no issue with the way that Dabo responded. I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, Tyler from Spartanburg, that was him really talking to the entire Clemson fan base, right? That was a good reminder of, hey, this is what we've done. This is what we've accomplished. We're confident in our process. But – Another question for you. Let's say you are the AD of Clemson, right? You get to have a kumbaya with Dabo Sweeney, let's say, an exit meeting after the 2023 season. Let's call it 7-5, and five, right, in, in a, a bowl bid. What is that conversation that you're having with Dabo Sweeney, or what are the maybe one or two bullet points that you want to make sure you get across to him as he approaches the 2024 season and the offseason ahead? 
Sure. So I, I think you need to say, look, Debo, a lot of teams out there, basically all teams who are big-time programs, are using the transfer portal not necessarily to raise their ceiling, but to raise their floor, right? If you lose two receivers like you did to injury so far this year, we need to make sure that we are using the portal to have enough competitive depth to where we don't have a disaster, to where teams like Duke and other like lower-level ACC schools are able to man us up without repercussions. Also, it's very clear now, and it's been for two years, that the offensive staff as a whole, not Garrett Riley, but a lot of the other guys, did not have the qualifications to be on a national championship type staff. We've given you the leeway to see if these guys would work out. They're not working out. They weren't really qualified to have these jobs in the first place. I would like you to go out and hire some guys who are a little bit more experienced at this level. If the guys you hired go elsewhere and they prove to be good coaches over time because they actually had an opportunity to grow and you know like learn how to be a coach, cool. Bring them back. But this is Clemson. We have real expectations. So I need to see you shedding some of the dead weight on the roster, bringing in some transfer portal guys that at least raise our floor so we can avoid a disaster scenario like we're having right now at receiver. And I need a little more experience and some proven guys on this offensive football staff. It sounds to me like after this season, Dabo has lost the benefit of the doubt. You only get one season like this, and we'll see how they finish it out, right? I mean, the other thing is you look at Clemson's schedule, Notre Dame coming to town playing good football, Georgia Tech, right, just beat a, a top 20 team in North Carolina, UNC as well, and then you got at USC, right? So there, there's no gimmies here for Clemson the rest of the way, and a big one this season. But I can't even remember the last time that they were under 500 at this point in the season. That would be something for our Ryan McGrady to take a look at there. But it seems like, I guess what I'm saying is, it used to be just a dabble-run program. I think what this does is opens the door to more voices, additional voices to come in and say, hey, we got to take a step back, recalibrate, and really kind of think about how we're going to go about in the future. You brought up, Bud, a lot of good points about what that looks like. Coaching hires comes into that. How do we deal with NIL? How do we deal with the transfer portal, right? So I don't know, Bud. The last thing I'll ask you on, on Clemson, what is your confidence level on Dabo Sweeney to make these type of changes? I, I actually think he's going to make them. I, I, I think Clemson is sort of too big to fail or at least too big to not try. Right. So I, I do think they're going to tell Dabo, hey, you need to make some important changes here. You need to adapt with the sport. We still have a lot of belief in you. I'm rooting for Dabo, man. I, I love the way the guy goes about his business. I think he has built it the right way. I think the game has changed rapidly. I think sometimes that catches up on people. We'll see, you know, but it, it, it is that time now, this offseason, regardless of how they finish here, that you're going to say, all right, back to the drawing boards. What do we need to do to get back to who we have been? over the last decade, or Drew, or Drew, Bud, another team that we will talk about, USC, Lincoln Riley. It's kind of been a uh, up-and-down season despite the record, 7-2 record, still in the top 25, number 24 in the new college football playoff rankings that came out last night. And, Bud, this is one, I think if you read the tea leaves, there's been some murmurs kind of behind the scenes. You check in with some of the sources in college football that Lincoln Riley is, I would say, getting fatigued with the new age of college football. We talked about NIL. We talked about the transfer portal. Just goes to show, this is not exclusive to Dabo Sweeney. This is a guy that's had a lot of success, and now he's at USC year two. Massive expectations there as well. And for more context on this, Ryan McGrady, what do you got on USC and Lincoln Riley? 
on USC and Lincoln Riley, we got a couple things. Uh, they're allowing 32.6 points per game this year, which is 112th in FBS. And uh, the stat that we keep updating every week in the research department, they've allowed 34 plus points in five straight games for the first time since they joined the FBS level back in 1922. And then you look at recruiting, they only have five commits from the state of California in the class of 2024. It's been a big issue and talking point in uh, Southern California the last couple of weeks. And like in saying, we're gonna re recruit the whole country. It's not gonna be just California, but you look at their history since 2010, this is just the second season that they've had less than 50% of their class come from the state of California. And the first one was in 2022 when they only had nine uh, players coming in in that class and four of them were from California. This year, they have five of their 16 from California, but you go back to some years, they're up over 70% come from California. Uh, back in 2014, they had 20 players, 77% of their class, 2011, 20 players, 69% of their class, and a couple other years where they're up over 70%. And talking to guys that were on staff under the uh, Pete Carroll era at USC, they would only leave California and Southern California specifically if it was a first round guy. But right now it looks like they're leaving California for most of their class. That's pretty interesting. The one thing that we should mention there, Pete Carroll was a long time ago, right? Early 2000s, the game has changed a lot. But with USC, you kind of look at Lincoln Riley, there's two things, right? The recruiting that I don't think is talked about as much. I think they're recruiting very well offensively. That is not an issue there. I think the trenches on the defensive side of the line of scrimmage, they've leaned on the transfer portal. I think that's one of those things that they're going to have to take a step back and say, okay, is, is this the right path forward? We'll get to that. The other thing, Alex Grinch and this defense, and uh, Ryan McGrady mentioned it, since 2019 to 2020, when he was with Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma, 2019 defense for OU, 64th. They make a jump to 29th in 2020. 2021, they regress 30 spots to 59th. And then at USC 2022, they're 94th. 2023, they are currently 112th. So this has been, I would say, a downward trend for Alex Grinch under Lincoln Riley on the defensive side of the ball for the last three years and now you're heading into the Big Ten Conference where defense is a big part of how you win football games there but your your general feel on the direction of USC under Lincoln Riley and what I mean by that we talked about expectations with Clemson do you feel that this is a team that is rightfully building to win national championships under Lincoln Riley at USC I have mixed feelings on this, right? I, I'm not going to pretend that I know every single little detail that's going on inside that program. But I, and I said this on, on, on the Cover 3 pod. You can just watch them and anticipate stories coming out later this year. Like, hey, this was going on in practice or this wasn't happening in practice. I My numbers actually do see improvement in this year's defense compared to last year's defense, which I know sounds crazy. Last year I had them in the 90s. This year I have them in the 70s if you adjust for opponent and sort of like take the randomness out of turnovers. Last year's defense was just a total like turnover-fueled luck box. This year, they're playing a little bit better on a down-to-down -down basis, and they just don't have the turnovers, which defensive coaches hate this, but the stats show that turnovers, for the most part, year-to-year, -year, are luck. You can control a lot of stuff. You really can't control turnovers as much as defensive coaches would like to, to believe that you can. The recruiting piece does matter to me, though, because, yes, it, it's a smaller world in recruiting now, and guys go all over the country guys leave the West Coast to go to the Big Ten or the SEC. I, I get that. But if you're doing a great job at USC, Brennan Baker is wearing Cardinal and Gold, right? Breland is staying home. 
right? Like, did did Xavier Brown get out of town? Those are the type of guys you really need to – like, if USC is rolling, they sort of have the right of first refusal to almost all the elite prospects west of the Rockies, with all due respect to Dan Lanning at Oregon, obviously, who's doing a great job and has actually beaten USC – on a couple of these guys. So I think there there are some reasons for concern. And we have to ask, Caleb Williams is one of the most talented quarterbacks we have ever seen play college football. I think it's going to be fair to ask, like, is USC wasting Caleb Williams' time? I think that's fair. I mean, the, the other thing, I want to go back to the, to the recruiting piece real quick. I think USC has three players from California that are currently in the top 247. There's 21 players in the state that are ranked inside the top 247. So that's saying something. Also, none of those guys are top five ranked players in the country either. You talk about Julian saying he's off to Alabama. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to push back on Lincoln Riley when it comes to quarterback development. He's got the benefit of the doubt there. But Brandon Baker, you brought up, he's going to Texas. Another guy, Aiden Breland, his teammate, he's going to Oregon, right? Dakota Fields, another guy, Jay Sarah, going to Oregon. I think Oregon has become a nuisance on the West Coast for Lincoln Riley. Those guys recruit hard. They recruit very similar to the way Kirby Smart recruits at Georgia. But who do you have more confidence in right now? Dan Lanning heading into the Big Ten or Lincoln Riley? Honestly, it's Dan Lanning for me right now. They, they, they seem to be really have it together on the field, and they're playing for keeps off the field. Like, the rest of the Big Ten needs to be on notice with what Oregon is doing. Like, they're going to come in – Obviously, like all the schools in the Big Ten West are going to be behind Oregon roster-wise. I think Oregon's aiming higher. I think if, if you're in Happy Valley, you got to be like, okay, that's great. I mean, Oregon is really, really playing the game for keeps and ramping up that roster. So uh, they're, they're aiming for the very top of the Big Ten. I, I don't know if we can exactly say the same with USC right now with the level they're recruiting. I think that is going to be one of the more interesting storylines to kind of follow next year, how USC kind of acclimates into the Big Ten Conference, a conference that is known for a very different style of football, right? It's like taking an NFC West team and and matching them up with an AFC North team. Two completely different styles of how they play. So USC, going to be interesting to watch under Lincoln Riley. But I think the last thing there is like, you know, we're going to talk about this in a second. Just, you know, it's pure speculation. But you kind of hear some of the things about Lincoln Riley you hear the NFL coaching stuff. It, would I be surprised? Yes. Would I be shocked? No. He seems like a guy that just kind of is like, you know what? I'm over it. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Right? And the defensive thing seems like such an investment. And it seems like it's been neglected over the last three years. That's the thing that makes me really hesitant about USC is that this has been a problem that I think – should have been fixed two years ago. And here we are three years into or two years into it at USC from the last year at Oklahoma that said, hold on, we got some things that we need to reevaluate. He's gone forward with Alex Grinch. He seems to have a lot of confidence in him. And you look at USC defensively, it's not like the the cupboards, uh, you know, like they have some talent, right? They have some pass rushers. They got some guys on the back end. They got some young guys playing well at the second level. They have Mason Cobb, Tackett Curtis, they have some pieces there, and I know you said that they were improved, but I would say the lack of defensive development is the biggest thing that makes me hesitant about USC going forward. And I know we've kind of beat that drum, but if you want to know the difference, really, at the end of the day, it's the emphasis that Dan Lanning is putting 
at the point of attack on both sides of the ball that I don't see emulated at USC. And I don't think that is something that you can just overlook when, when this is a team going to the Big Ten. Totally agree. I, I, I think the, the line of scrimmage uh, and the overall toughness of the program uh, are, are worth talking about. For sure, because it's we got about a two-year sample now, and they don't they don't play with good physical toughness. Doesn't appear. But last thing, of the four teams going to the Big Ten, how would you rank them in terms of okay, these teams are equipped immediately, and then also future. I think these are teams that can have success in that conference. Uh, I would say immediately Oregon one, USC two. Washington has lost a lot, or will be losing quite a bit. So I'll have UCLA over them, and then Washington, uh, number four. Long term, man, look, history and tradition is a great signal in this sport. I, I do long term have USC over Oregon, whether that's with Riley or with somebody else. Like that, that's a program that does care about winning. I, I, it's hard to not have USC number one in the long term, uh, but short term, I think it's Oregon. You made a lot of UW fans uh, mad there, a little bit salty, but that's why we have you on the show. Tg up, bud. I, I mean, are are they are they capitalizing on on this two year run and on the recruiting trail? No, like I, definitely not. Okay, you know, and I, and so I there, say it's, that it's I say that with a lot staff. of conviction. It is, it is right. We talk all the time about the importance of matching your recruiting success with your on field success. Right now, Washington has done a tremendous job on the field over the last two years. Right. Outkick all expectations on the field. Last year in the first year under Kalen DeBoer, they're doing it again this year, undefeated. I don't know. Like, off the, off the field recruiting-wise, it's like, I don't see it. I don't see the vision, right? Roma Dunze is going to be gone. Jalen Polk's going to be gone. McMillan panics. You're going to lose a couple starters on the offensive line. Braylon Trice is out of there. ZTF. I don't know. That's a lot of production, right? So we'll see what happens. And I don't think... I don't know. Is Washington going to be one of those teams that's going to be one of the best in terms of the transfer portal market? I think they'll be appealing, but I don't think they can live there either. The one caveat here is that I don't think Washington really has expectations to win the Big Ten. Maybe that'll make Washington fans really mad at me, but I, I, there's almost never a time in, which, in, in the last like two decades in which Washington has played at a level that would allow them to win the Big Ten. Um, now, reasonably... Will they be a top-half team in the Big Ten? Yes, especially if DeBoer stays, because DeBoer has won and has scored points everywhere he has been. And I do think in college football, you can coach your way to 9 or 10 wins. I think to get that 11th, 12th, 13th win, you do need talent and special players. But coaching matters an awful lot if you're trying to just, you know, bowl game plus 2, bowl game plus 3, bowl game plus 4, at least in my experience. Like, look at what Leipold's doing at Kansas. I know recruiting hasn't taken off like crazy. He's just a really good coach. I know we're kind of like going off the deep end here, but why, why, why doesn't Washington have that expectation? When I was there, I felt that. It was like, why don't we have these national expectations? But it was good enough to win the Pac-12, but you lose three straight New Year's Six Bowls, and it's like it's good enough to win the Alamo Bowl. I think Washington should be one of those programs that aims higher. And a lot of times the way I feel about UW is the only people keeping UW from reaching their heights, potentially on the national level, is the people not in that building, but from an administration standpoint. It's like, how high do you want to go, right? And I will say this. They have a new AD, Troy Dannon, coming over from Tulane. I'm a New Orleans boy. I am familiar with him. I do think that's going to be a guy that's not just going to lay up, right? So I think that is going to be a program going to the Big Ten. They got to ramp it up. 
big time in terms of recruiting. But Kalen DeBoer, I think, has proven over the last two years that he is one of the best football coaches in all of college football. So you got to give him everything that he needs. And you know what? The other side of this, he's got to do his job as a recruiter in terms of the talent acquisition side as well. So Dabo Sweeney, Lincoln Riley, fork in the road, whatever you want to call it, big off seasons for them coming up. Also, we talked a little bit about Dan Lanning and the Ducks and Kalen DeBoer as well. Just a reminder, you are watching the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast with Andrew Ivins, Cooper Patagna. Today, we've got a new guy riding shotgun. That is Bud Elliott of the Cover 3 Podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Bud Elliott 3, also the Cover 3 Podcast. You can find on YouTube as well. They do a great job there. Bud, what we got next, one of my favorites, right? The temperature check of the hot seats. It's that time of year. Has anybody lost their job yet? I don't think so, huh? N- not for uh, performance reasons. For cell phone activities, yes. <laughs> uh, but n- not not for on-field Wait, who was that? Who am I missing? Uh, Mel Tucker. Oh. Yeah. Oof. All right. Yeah. yeah. Sorry about that one. I missed that one. There you go. Some of the names on the hot seat right there. You got Jimbo Fisher, A&M. $70 million buyout. That makes you think once or twice about that. Jim Harbaugh, $25 million. We'll jump into that in a second. Tom Allen, Sam Pittman, Dana Holgerson, Neil Brown. Dino Babers, and Zach Arnett. So we're going to touch on four of these, and we're going to start with probably the most popular topic in uh, all of college football right now and what's going on in Ann Arbor. And Jim Harbaugh, University of Michigan, right? It's a sticky situation, everything that's going on with the sign stealing. If you don't have any context on that, I guess you've been living under a rock. And if you're watching the show, you want to know more about that, go Google it. I'm not going to talk about it here. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast jim harbaugh michigan the buyout would be 25 million dollars 
but there's already been talks that he's working on the extension right now and that that extension is going forward amidst everything already. I can see like it already, right? Like the public pressure, does it go through, all that type of stuff. But I think you and I agree. Jim Harbaugh is not going to be relieved of his duties by Michigan unless there's something out there over the next couple weeks or months that would say so. But as of right now, I don't think there's anything that would indicate that Jim Harbaugh is out there. The other thing, that buyout, $25 million, I think that's the second highest outside of Jimbo Fisher at $70 mil. It's going to be interesting how they go about this, right? Ward Manuel, the AD over there at, at, at Michigan. But, uh, but I don't even know if we really got to touch this thing that much. I think I kind of wanted to bring it up just because it's one of those things that I think people are thinking about. But I feel confident unless Jim Harbaugh leaves for the NFL and the Chicago Bears, which I think is a viable option, or something's uncovered here with the NCAA parked in Ann Arbor, they could find a lot more than what they're looking for, right? That's what they do. Um, I think he's pretty safe in Michigan. Totally agree. I, I'm glad you said based on what we know right now, right? Because initially when the sign stealing stuff came out, I was like, look, honestly, a lot of teams do this. And then as more came out, it's like, oh, we're sending guys all over the country on 40 plus flights to go scout every single team in the country. We may or may not have dudes on our staff on other teams' sidelines, you know, allegedly with uh, with, with glasses that have video cameras in them, right? So the, other staffs hit me up like, no, we actually don't do that, right? Like that that is uh, unique and, and pretty dumb and, and sloppy. So look, if more stuff comes out that they could directly tie to Harbaugh, I guess we can't 100% dismiss this as a possibility. I think, I do think this is Jim Harbaugh's last season coaching Michigan. I think he'll go to the NFL, right? Just if I had to guess, like I don't, it's not super strong. I wouldn't bet on it, but like the chance he's coaching Michigan is exponentially higher than the chance he gets fired for any of this, unless they really have more stuff that's going to come out, which they might. It seems like a new story drops every day. Right. The, and that's the point, right? If they're able to get out of the contract, like I, I don't think those things work in conjunction with each other. One, they're not going to pay a $25 million buyout. I think we'd feel pretty right. comfortable saying that Two, something would have to come out that would allow them to be able to get out of that contract and have to having to pay that $25 million. But it seems like we do this song and dance every year with Jim Harbaugh. What, what makes you think this time that he'll make the jump? So Michigan has been recruiting well, but not necessarily at that like Bama Georgia level, right? And I think that they have outperformed in terms of talent development their recruiting rankings, which is awesome and commendable, but also how sustainable is it to to have that level of like talent development outperform your recruiting rankings? They're also, if you read the Bruce Feldman piece, they might have 20 guys drafted this year. That that would be a record and would be an enormous amount of talent to lose, including probably, as we're seeing on the screen here, J.J. McCarthy. So if you're Harbaugh, you're sort of like, I've done what all I can do, especially because they're the current national like national title favorite. Like they're actually favored over UGA, which is kind of rare and not a media thing. Like that's the boys in Vegas who stand to lose money if they're wrong. So it's sort of like, all right, I got Michigan back to its absolute pinnacle. I want a ring here type thing, or at least I, I had a ring capable type of team. I want to go back and, and, and do the NFL. I, I made it to the Super Bowl. I lost. I, I want to get back. I, 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 if I had to like very like, I don't know, 55, 45, I think he's gone. I wouldn't, you take everything that has happened, I would say off the field away. I don't know if he would go, 
right? I think that's a big part of it. I mean, you Fair. think about the NCAA investigation, the three-game suspension, which seems like it was five years ago at this point. Then you add in everything that's happened this year, now currently under investigation again. I could see him getting to the point that says, you know what? Maybe I'm better off in the NFL. And here's the other thing that I think you got to mention. He played for the Chicago Bears. And as of right now, I believe the Bears would have the first in the second pick in the draft. So he could have his pick of a guy like Caleb Williams, Drake May, and then bring in a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr., who he is very familiar with from playing at Ohio State. But the next four games for Michigan, Purdue at Penn State at Maryland, Ohio State, as crazy as it sounds, we haven't seen Michigan really tested yet. What do you expect for them over the next four weeks? I think they'll roll uh, Maryland and Purdue. I just don't think those teams can hold up along the lines of scrimmage. I, I think we have a pretty good feel for what Penn State is now, which is a, a team that's just they, – they whiffed in the transfer portal on receiver, and they don't have dynamic guys on the outside who scare you. So I would expect Michigan to win probably kind of an uglier game in Happy Valley. You know Penn State will come. They'll play really hard on defense. They have a lot of defensive talent. That's not going to be an, an easy one. But it, Michigan's going to be favored by more than a touchdown in all remaining games. So – um you know, I expect to see him in the playoff. I think the Ohio State game to me feels different because Ohio State feels different this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're not the same pro- prolific, dynamic passing offense, right? They, which, in, in all honesty, might be a good thing for them and that staff to learn how to win different ways. Defensively, they've stepped up as well. I think that game's going to be a grind as it always is. That's not saying much there. All right, the next one, Dana Holgerson, Houston. This is a pretty interesting one. Buyout, $15 million. Currently three and five losses to Rice this season. Had a tough one against Texas San Antonio. They won that beginning of the year. Last game, 41 nothing loss to Kansas State. But I always talk about it's not really the win-loss total at the end of the year, but it's how you lose games that I think affect whether or not a coach is going to be able to hold his position or whether or not the university is going to go in a different way. Dana Holgerson has two eight-plus win seasons at Houston. We knew it was going to be some adversity year one in the Big 12. I don't know, bud. It just seems like this one is a slow-moving train. If it's not this year, it's probably not long after, right? And, and I think Houston is a good job. I think they can be a transfer portal destination in the state of Texas, a really good bounce-back program for Power 5 type of players if they get the right guy in there, I think Houston can be dangerous and no disrespect to Dana Holgerson. I don't know if this is a program that is trending up right now. Agree with you on all that. Agree with you on the slow moving train part. You know, the buyout is quite a bit. The number that helps Dana Holgerson the most here is the number one. That is the number of wins that the new Big 12 teams have over the existing Big 12 teams. The only team to win a game so far who's a new member of the league over an existing member of the league is BYU, which beat Texas Tech when Texas Tech was on its third-string quarterback because the other two guys got knocked out. UCF is winless against the existing members. Cincinnati is winless against the existing members. Houston got the win over West Virginia. So if you're Dana, you can point to this and say, look, man, we're not playing great. But also, maybe the gap between the American and the Big 12 is larger than anticipated. Look at the results of all the other teams who have been good teams before entering this league, and now they're at the bottom of the league. I may need a little more time to get this thing going. I agree it's a slow-moving train. I don't know that you need to fire a guy this year who won, like, what, 20 games over the last two years? It, I, I don't think Dan is a terrible coach. I I, I don't know. Uh, I, this job, entering a new league, is is pretty tough. 
It kind of shocks me, doesn't it? I mean, I listen, I maybe I was underestimating the Big 12, but only one win, right? I mean, you think about that. I expected more from Central Florida. I expected more from BYU. expected more from Houston, quite frankly. You talked about it. Not a lot of success there for the four newcomers. Cincinnati, also a team that's kind of been beat up by the new Big 12 as well. So we'll see what happens with Houston. But is there a name out there that maybe comes to mind when you think about Houston? And let's say, you know, Houston has made some, uh, let's say, impulsive decisions in the past as well, right? Major Applewhite, what, got fired after the second year and he had eight wins, right? So yeah, we've seen it before. Is, is there a name maybe in your mind that makes sense for Houston? I, I could see maybe like, right, at UTSA who does a nice job recruiting within that state, runs a good program like they're, for a G5 program, they're really consistent there at UTSA, and he, he's really built this thing up nicely. So he, he would make some sense to me. He would be an appealing one. G.J. Kinney, don't think he's ready yet, yeah. but maybe another guy you come back, circle back to in a year. And, you know, the next four for Houston at Baylor, right? Like, that is a game of who needs it more, Dave Aranda or Dana Holgerson. Cincinnati, winnable game, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State playing well right now, and then at UCF. So, I think that's a pretty favorable schedule for the last four games of the season for Houston. We'll see what they do there. I don't know, bud. I don't want to say he's coaching for his job, but it kind of seems like we'll see what happens over the next four. And if it's a two and two or a one and three, it could be what kind of seals the fate for Dana Holgerson. So we'll see what happens with Houston. Two more names we want to touch on here. Zach Arnett, Mississippi State. The buyout there, the lowest of all the aforementioned coaches. $4.5 million dollars. The next four games, Kentucky at A&M, Southern Miss, Ole Miss. Right now, Mississippi State 4-4 four and four on the season, only one win in the SEC. That was 7-3 to three over an Arkansas team and another coach in Sam Pittman right now. There's been some murmurs about, what's your feel on Zach Arnett and Mississippi State? This kind of seems the one that where everybody's kind of flying blind a little bit. Yeah, I think the fact that his buyout is $4.5 million with a full offset, meaning if he takes a D.C. job, he'll probably make – somewhere between 800 and 1.2. So it, it's it's very much offset. Look, you have to be respectful here. You have to understand why Mississippi State made the hire after the tragic passing of Mike Leach. It was an internal uh, you know, promotion. They took the interim and made him, made him the head coach. But even Mississippi State, as evidenced by the contract, really didn't have a lot of faith. I mean, $4.5 million for a buyout for an SEC coach screams, we'll see how this goes. If it doesn't go well, we need to be able to cut bait quickly. And uh, it is absolutely his right to make the hires that he did and the fires that he did. But it was extremely risky to take an air raid roster and an air raid staff and go a complete 180 to go run the App State stuff, which is like kind of man ball. We're going to run stretch a bunch of times a game, punish you. Uh, there are Goliath programs and there are David programs within the SEC. And you've got to be smart enough to understand what you're at. And Mississippi State damn sure ain't a Goliath program, right? They're a David program. You have to trick people down there. You will not push people around at Mississippi State. Ask Sylvester Croom how that went. The guys who do have success at Mississippi State are guys who run really unique kind of college spammy offenses. Leach, Mullen. So if I'm an AD, I'm saying, really? You thought this kind of offensive staff, this kind of offensive hire was going to work at Mississippi State? Peace. I understand why you did it. You got to go with what you believe in, but this ain't going to work here. New AD came in a couple weeks after he was hired, I believe, right? So that's another dynamic there that I think you got to look for in Zach Arnett. But how, how receptive would you be to somebody like Dan Mullen returning to Starkville? 
I mean, assuming he would take it, I think you've got to be very receptive, right? Like, Den Mullen's a guy that can consistently get you to bowl games. That has to be the goal at Mississippi State. Like, Mississippi State's not a team that can win the SEC. I, I got a lot of heat on cover three for saying, like, I would die before Kentucky wins the SEC. Mississippi <laughs> State is, like, I, I, I'd die, get reincarnated, come back again before Mississippi State's going to win the SEC. So, uh, man, I, yeah, like, can you find a coach that can consistently make bowl games? It's, it's a tougher proposition now with Texas and Oklahoma entering the league. I'd be fascinated by Dan Mullen back in that chair in Starkville because I also think that that would be a program that I think would be pretty attractive for him in terms of the fit of the transfer portal as well. You know, you think about that and Dan Mullen, right? Like for all his flaws, his flaws really come down to talent acquisition, which I think he kind of outperformed that when he was at Mississippi State. I think he fell short of that at Florida, but it'd be interesting to kind of get him back in that state, see what that looks like. Now you got NIL, kind of mixes things up a little bit. I think right now the other part of this too, Ole Miss is kind of eaten on the recruiting trail. They're not lighting it up in terms of, you know, what uh, a top 15 program, but in terms of what they've been able to do in that state, they've done a really good job. And it's kind of been with little resistance from Mississippi State, right? So we'll see what happens to Zach Arnett. That's going to be a pretty interesting situation to follow. And then Bud, the last name was one that you suggested that wasn't even on my radar. Baylor head coach Dave Aranda. This is a guy three and five this season, six and seven last season. Some tough losses this year. Lost to Texas State in the beginning of the season. They play Houston this week. I just mentioned that about Dana Holgerson. Overall, 23 and 21 in four seasons, two bowl appearances. Here's where I'm at, bud. I, I, I think Dave Aranda can coach. I think he's got no interest in building a roster. And, and I, I've seen some of these guys that are like, yeah, that's a really good football coach, man. That guy's got it figured out. He can put it together when he has the guys. And we talked about this. You talked about it earlier in the show. Some programs are meant to be developmental programs. But if you're a team like Baylor, who has shown the ability to outperform expectations, that talent acquisition goes a long way. I think this is a team that has really kind of taken their foot off the pedal. And that's really never who Dave Aranda's been. You look back as a defensive coordinator, he's never been known as a recruiter. I think he is a very good developer of talent. He's a very good defensive mind. And as a head coach, I actually think that he's capable. I think he's shown that he's capable. And I know they've been a little bit banged up this year, right? No excuses, like he said. These are the type of programs that I think there need to be checks and balances with head coaches like Dave Aranda and say, are we doing enough? Are we doing enough on the recruiting trail? Are we getting the right type of guys that you feel confident enough that we can get in this building and you feel that you can develop? And I think the answer to that is no. Yeah, the, the non-competitive loss at home on homecoming to Iowa State, a, a, a school that lost several of their best players this year due to the gambling suspensions, that's kind of red flaggish, right? They, they did beat UCF, one of those, those Big 12 newcomers, with a nice comeback, losing at home, you know, Texas State, like that just, yeah, it, it has not been a good year there. You mentioned with, with Dabo, like you get one of these years, not two. Uh, well, this is sort of year number two in a row where they, they've not, they just haven't looked real competitive. So uh, some of the guys they, they took in the portal haven't really hit. And it, I think it is damning that the side of the ball they're really struggling on is the defensive side of the football, which is, which is Dave's side. So. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how this goes. The buyout is, is unknown because it's a private school, so we can't exactly send a Freedom Information Act request to Baylor, or we could, they just wouldn't answer it uh, because they're private. So we don't know what the buyout is, but I, I think that's one to watch. But most likely, 
out of those four, we talked about Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, Dana Holgerson at Houston, Zach Arnett, Mississippi State, and Dave Aranda at Baylor. Your guess is as good as mine. Is there one of those guys that you would think, uh, not fairly confident, but if you had to bet on one that doesn't come back next season, who would you bet on? I think it's Arnett just because it's so cheap. I mean, four and a half million with a full offset is you could have one booster write that check. Everybody else probably you got to get a big group together. All right. Just a reminder, you are listening and watching, tuning in to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Bud Elliott riding in uh, shotgun with me today. Andrew Ivans out in Germany. What a cool opportunity for him. Drew and his wife out there in Frankfurt, Germany, getting to watch 150 international prospects. Can't wait to talk to him when he gets back. All right, bud, it's time for buy or sell. What a fun segment this is. Yeah, like I said, man, no easy layups for you. We're going to put you on the hot seat. We're going to go through five teams, and two of them we've already talked about, five teams. And, bud, I think it's a combination of short-term, your confidence in these, these coaches, and then long-term, their ability to be able to figure things out, turn it around. And, um, you know, the other thing I was thinking about explaining this is, I think it has to match the expectations, right? So we're going to talk about USC on here. I think it's important to have expectations. So when we talk about these teams, you and I both need to explain, are we buying or selling our stock based on the expectations of what we feel that program and where we feel that program should be? So we're going to start with USC, Lincoln Riley. We have talked about them on, at, at length if you're just joining us now late in the show, go back earlier in the show. We talked about both USC and Clemson at length. But Lincoln Riley, USC, Bud Elliott, are you buying or selling that stock? Long term, I'm, I'm, I'm still going to – fine, I'm, I'm, I'll buy it. Yeah, I, I think so because it's still USC, <laughs> and I don't think Riley's incompetent. That, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard to mess that job up too bad long term. If he stays there, I think he'll get it figured out eventually. I thought we were going to have an impulsive flip there. Our guys weren't ready. I could see the producers shaking in their boots – they knew what was coming beforehand. I know I kind of went back and forth on this one. I kind of say confidently, but I'm selling this stock, right? And what I'm saying is, as a USC fan, 7-2 and two is good, right? If you want to have that conversation, you're a top 25 program, the sky is not falling, I'm with you. But what is the expectation at USC? Buddy, you talked about it off the field. I think this is a program that should be a top six, top seven recruiting program in the country. And I'm probably being a little bit conservative with that. They have been disappointing on the defensive side of the ball, not only on the field, but in the state of California as well. I think there's more opportunity for them. They have not cashed in on that. And we talked about the teams leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten, USC, I got a lot of big question marks. That's the other thing. They're not going to be in the Pac-12 anymore. And the thing about the Pac-12, they've been better, but the Big Ten is going to be tough. And then you, you factor in some of these teams, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, of so the world that you're going to have to go up against. I don't know, bud. And we talked about it earlier. I, I, I don't think Lincoln Riley, this has been the biggest disappointment to me. Has he shown the ability to adapt? Has he shown the ability to evolve? I think this starts with making a, a change at the defensive coordinator position this offseason with Alex Grinch. We've showed the statistics over the last three to four years. There have been a downward slump there. It's unacceptable. It is completely unacceptable with the talent that USC has to be able to go out there and put that incompetent of a defensive product on the field week in and week out. And you know what, what, for me, that's disappointing. We saw it at Oklahoma, and I thought it would change at USC. Yeah. I thought this would be an opportunity 
for Lincoln Riley to go back to the whiteboard and say, you know what? We fell short in a lot of areas at OU that we don't have to do that here. He hasn't done it. He's been the same dude. And I think this guy would rather go to the NFL than fix the problems that he has in his own house. That's kind of the way that I feel. So if you didn't know what I was doing with the stock, I'm selling it. And, and like I said, Lincoln Riley is a good coach. I thought by this time, Bud, I thought he would be in that elite category. He hasn't brought it home for me. I, I, I'm kind of disappointed here with Lincoln Riley and USC. I think that's fair. <laughs> All right. The next one, Dabo Sweeney, Clemson. You and I, different sides of the aisle here. Clemson 4-4 four and four right now. Ryan McGrady talked about the McNuggies earlier in the show. He's got a heck of a resume. He made sure our boy knew it on the, on the radio call the other night. Clemson, you buying or selling? I'm buying. Uh, Clemson's like underlying metrics are much better than their record. I think a lot of the young players they've recruited recently are pretty darn good. And the changes that Dabo Swinney needs to make are not changes that I think are outside of his potential skill set. He just needs to adapt a little bit to the sport, use the transfer portal some, doesn't have to be totally reliant on it, and make a staff change or two. And I, I think that they are uh, they're right back to you know, being more on track to where they want to be. I am selling with very low confidence. Um, but part of that is what I said. Like, if he doesn't change, which we haven't seen him change, Clemson uses the transfer portal less than any other Power 5 program in all of college football. Right, so when you take that into consideration, you take the, okay, who's the guy at the quarterback position? I like Cade Klubnick. Is he the game changer right, that we talked about with Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson? And then you think of all the talent at the skill positions offensively that Clemson had. I also think the other thing that you have to take into consideration, we're recruiting in a different era. Right? The competition has stepped up their game. The Miamis, the Florida States, the Floridas of the world, the North Carolinas of the world, they're better. South Carolina's better, right? E even though their record doesn't indicate it, these guys are recruiting at a higher clip. There's more resistance on the recruiting trail now in the NIL transfer portal era more than there's ever been. It's not as easy. You're not shooting fish in a barrel anymore. Georgia's pretty darn good. They're the standard. They're not shooting fish in a barrel anymore. Ask him about K.J. Bolden. Ask him about Sammy Brown, right, who's going to Clemson. And K.J. Bolden, who's going to Florida State. It ain't easy. You got to work. And guess what? You got to be aligned. You got to invest. You got to have everybody rowing in the same direction. That's going to take a lot of work. And guess what? It's going to have to show the ability to change as well. And here's my thing. If you are going to die on the hill of we're going to find our guys, we're going to find the right fit, these are going to be the guys that we bring into our program and develop, you better not miss. And I'll let you in on a little, little secret, everybody misses, right? So if the high school is the only way that you're going to recruit and you're going to tie your program up by saying, you know what, we're not going to access the transfer portal because that's not what we do. Good luck to you, man. You're four and four right now. You got a tough schedule with three or four games left. Good luck. You want to keep going that route? Good luck. That's all I have to say. And if I was a personal personnel director there, you're telling that's like a, somebody working in the front office of the NFL and saying, you know what? You get to build your team through the draft. You don't get free agency. You don't get to trade. You don't get to be opportunistic. Rolling with our young guys. That's it. Good luck, man. Figure it out. And you know what? For as much good as Dabo Sweeney has done, this year, I said it, after this year, all that credibility, all that goodwill, all that benefit of the doubt, it's gone. 
and the clock starts ticking again. It's a new clock, right? And whatever's in the past is in the past, but it's a new age of college football. And now you're starting to fall short of the same standard in the expectations that you built. So I know that was a rant laced on the recruiting trail. I love Dabo Sweeney. I believe in Dabo Sweeney. I believe in Clemson, which makes me want to pull my hair out even more. That everything you want is right there in front of you. But for whatever reason, we have yet to dip our toes in that world. And you don't have to be world beaters. You just got to go excess it, right? But you've allowed everybody else to catch up to you, and now you're back at square one. Indeed. (laughs) Enjoyed it, man. It's been great. (laughs) Oh, Bud, we got to get you out. Bud Elliott, appreciate you joining the show. As always, we had more, but I forgot. You got your own show. You can watch that Cover 3 podcast at Bud Elliott 3. Bud Elliott, thanks for joining us. Guys, have a great week. We'll see you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.